Hey, St. Paul, and welcome to our next episode on Brendan Manning's book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, Good News for the Draggled, the Beat Up, and the Burnt Out. Tommy, um, we're chapter we're in chapter nine, and I was just mentioning to you uh, right before we started that we're, we have about 100 pages still left in this book, and I'm, I'm asking myself, what else can he say? I mean, everything seems to be fresh. Every, every chapter seems to be new and, and unbelievably relevant to where I am in my own personal journey. I mean, this is, this is a great book. I know you've read it before. This is my first time through this book. John, this chapter I will say again, you know, we've got 100 pages left. I don't know what else he could say that's more revealing than what he said in the other eight chapters. But this, uh, Brennan Manning has got a knack for boiling things down to what they really are. And his theme throughout this whole book is we have to understand and accept the fact that God loves us. Amen unconditionally, and again and again and again in this book, he revels in the idea that we have to accept God's unconditional love. And this, this chapter is called The Second Call. And this is, this is so true for everybody. You know, there, is a, there comes a time when we all reflect on our lives and you say, like the lady said to her husband riding down the road, what are we going to do for the rest of our lives? You know, <laughs> what, you know, we spent all these many years doing something that perhaps we didn't want to do. And now we come to this crossroad. Which way do I go? The crisis moment. The crisis moment. What am I doing? Is it all worth it? And, you know, we go to Ecclesiastes and, and Solomon just said, what is life? Is there a meaning to life? And there is. And I think, I think what Manning is pointing out to us is get rid of all the superficiality. Reflect on your life and come to the realization of who you really are. As we studied in the Celebration of Discipline, put yourself in a position where God can transform you and do with you what he intended to do with you. Yeah, the, uh, the thread of Brennan's reader's getting the idea or the message that God really loves you and loves me um, is very countercultural to how we're wired. Um, everything when it comes to acceptance or people liking us or uh, people dare to say loving us um, is filtered through the eyes of what we're able to offer back. We, we do that all the time. Am I good enough? Am I, uh, able to be uh, an asset to the team, or am I just going to be a third wheel? Um, you know, and and these Brennan in his chapter talks about these three crises in our faith walk. The last one, I just want to just kind of dovetail to what you said earlier, was this crisis of love. The crisis of love is that Jesus added a uh, adds this note of confidence in his message. He didn't say that maybe God was love or that, man, wouldn't it be nice if God were love? He said God is love. That That is 
the message of Jesus. That is the message of, you see it so plain in First um, John chapter 4. Jesus insisted, now these are Brendan's words, and I love these. Jesus insisted that his father is crazy with love, that God is a kooky God who can scarcely bear to be without us. And that that message is so clear. In We go through this crisis inside of us. Are we good enough? Are we, do we add to the team? Is there a an asset or are we a third wheel? Jesus proves this type of love that, that God the Father has for us. He makes it so obvious in the parable of the good father or the right. story about the prodigal son. The emphasis is not on the sinfulness of the son. The emphasis is on the generosity and the love of the father. I heard a sermon a few years ago, and um, and it was, uh, I can't remember the name of the sermon, but uh but the concept, the, the thread or the theme of the sermon was centered on the eyes of the father that looked down the road waiting, just waiting for his son to come back, waiting for his son to be reconciled. And the son had this, this message, this apology that he had rehearsed, but he could not even get it out before he knew it a new robe, the music was playing, the calf was being brought into the parlor, and there was the celebration. What would be different, Tommy, if our Christian brothers and sisters, let's just say if you and I lived out the next week believing, living into this idea that God loves us, that it's not just an old word that we have heard, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, God is love, Beloved, uh, let us love one another. I mean, these messages, uh, these uh, words through Scripture, what if it is not just something that we had learned? It's an old word. Oh, yeah, I know that. But just stop for a moment and lean into the possibility of what difference it could make in us if in the moments of our lives that we believe, that we act upon that truth and reality. So true, John. In Shane's sermon Sunday, and he's, his emphasis is on prayer, but he mentioned something that we as Christians should understand. In all other religions, it's a looking up. In Christianity, God is looking down to us and saying, I love you. And I want you more than you want me. And that is so powerful. If we can just meditate, just like you just said, meditate on the idea that we are loved unconditionally and we don't have to put on the mask anymore. We can throw it away. And this is the whole concept of the second call. Jesus is saying to us, look, I am with you. I leave you with peace. Please accept that. And I, I remember in our last podcast on Celebration Discipline, you and Shane were talking about the acceptance of love. I don't have to go to bed tonight wondering if Kathy loves me. I know she does. I don't have to wake up tomorrow morning wondering, I wonder if she loves me. There's a certain peace and calm when we accept that. 
and it's the same thing. And I think it's a transition in in the belief system in our whole makeup if we can accept and just grasp the fact that we're loved. And see it as a new word. Yeah. See it as, as something exciting. You know, these crises that he goes through is a crisis of faith. There's a crisis of hope. There's a crisis of love that all um, precipitate this second call, moving into a deeper relationship. United Methodists or John Wesley would have called it the uh, the second work of grace or the sanctification of the Holy Spirit to bring us closer to who we are in him, that we are, in fact, the children of God. Um, but this, these crises of, of faith, these crises of hope, these crises of, of love bring us to a moment where we are given a choice on whether or not we will be honest with ourselves about ourselves. We might say, hey, yeah, I believe that the wedding banquet, as Manning mentions in The Crisis of Hope, yeah, I believe that there's a celebration that's actually happening. And I and I understand that we live between the cross and the resurrection and and things. There's still pain. There's still suffering. But it's not to get out and through this pain. It's victory over. It is a, the ultimate goal of hope or this crisis of hope that brings us to the point where uh, we find that Jesus is accepting us, the hope that Jesus is accepting us with our our sins and our shortcomings and our baggage as we carry them and saying, lay these upon me. There's this need to, to get to a place, this second call, living into the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. There is a need that we have to be, we must be honest about ourselves with ourselves. One of the things that he mentioned here, which resonated with me, he says, we can't live the afternoon of our lives according to the morning program. That's right. That's right. <laughs> now, just think about that for a second. We can't live the afternoon of our lives according to the morning program. And, you know, I think so many times, um, you know, especially at, at, at my ripe old age, sometimes we think we can do that. But then the old body says, uh-uh, you can't do that anymore. But that's Okay. That's the whole process of, of the aging process. You know, we can't do, I can't do at this age what I did at 20 from a physical standpoint. That's something that he points out. You have to think about that and process what he's saying. And it's so true. It's so true. Another thing that I really focused on in this is commitment. You know, to be disciples of Jesus in what he directs us to do is we really have to commit, and with a commitment is sacrifice. And you mentioned just, just a minute ago, we need to get rid of the, the mask right? to know who we really are. And once we do that and, and reflect on our lives and understand who we are, then I think there's a tremendous amount of power associated with that and peace associated with that. You know, there's a difference between being interested in doing something and being committed to doing something. If you're interested in doing something, you do it when you want to or when it's convenient. When you're committed to something, there's, there's, no, there's no interest, only results. And that's, that's something that, whether it's in our profession or whether it's in our personal lives, commitment is, 
is the foundation. It's just like disciplines is a means to an end. That uh, if we can commit, and and we're you know, as Jesus says in the Gospels, being a Christian ain't easy sometimes, because we're we live in a world that tends to dictate how we act and react to things. And a Christian, if we're really committed to being a disciple of Jesus, then there is a is a commitment. And along with that comes sacrifice. And what we are committed to, first and foremost, in Manning's opinion, is that we're committed to the crazy, kooky love of God for us. That's right. The crazy, kooky love of God for us. You like that, don't you? I do. I do. (laughs) I almost felt embarrassed as I was writing my notes to even write kooky God, <laughs> just like, oh my goodness, these two things should not go together. We talk about commitment, Tommy, and, and I, I really think you're spot on. There's this, this essence that Jesus gives us permission to be on this journey. As I, as I read Brennan Manning's book, um, especially the prayer at the end, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit, but you, you, what he's doing is he's pulling back the curtain to see what's going on on the inside. You're seeing the process of argument that's going on in his own heart. You know, obviously speaking about things that he has gone through, things that become obstacles to his faith journey and and what he has found himself really relying on. And and, and, when, and when we talk about commitment, we... we we want to jump over the fact that there might be some doubt in us. And, and that doubt is an obstacle of the doubt, or it could be fear. He talks about fear as being right. this obstacle. I think if we would just get to a point in our own lives, and, and, and I'll speak personally, faith means you want God and want to want nothing else. He's given us permission to just at least Turn your attention to God. All right. Just just take a step. When when the disciples respond to the call of Christ, when Matthew is at the uh, Sea of Galilee as a tax collector, he hears the call of Christ. When Peter and Andrew and James and John are fishermen and they hear the respond of Christ and this uh, invitation, they had to take a step towards him. They didn't know how it was all going to work out. They they didn't solve every problem. The only problem that they had to draw themselves to facing was that I got to want to want this and take a step towards this. And I think many Christians, I truly believe we are like the, the man who is asking for Jesus to do this miraculous work in his family's life. And, and, and Jesus says, you must have faith. And he responds and he says, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Right. Th- this is when he says faith is, is means that you want God and you want to want nothing else. Okay. We turn our attention to God, right? We want God, but we also it's not that we want nothing else. We want the desire to want nothing else and give ourselves permission that there are going to be moments where we fall, where we turn aside and the crazy kooky, there I go again, love of God is this God who is still waiting with his eyes down the road to restore that relationship with us. Relationship with us. 
you know, I think of the, uh, the, uh, the prodigal son and the parable of the, the good loving father. Why did the father let his child leave? When the child came and said, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. Why did the father give in? And I truly believe that the father knew that the only way to restore the relationship was to let the son go. But his desire was not that the relationship, I mean, he could have said, no, I'm going to force you here. Stuff like that. Sometimes in our Christian walk, God lets us go our own way so that we experience this reconciliation. So we see that the father's eyes are looking down the road, waiting not for our apology, not for our contrition, not for our, our treatise on why, how horrible we are, but to love us, to receive us, to celebrate the one who has come back. I think you mentioned something that um, really resonated with me, and I, and I believe that Paul mentioned this in, in Romans, and it might be in Romans 8, where he says we are heirs to the the kingdom of God. And being heirs to the kingdom of God, we are entitled to all his blessings. And to me, when you really process that, that we're actually children of God, just like you're children of your earthly father, you're children of a, of a su- supreme being, a sovereign God that is control of everything. And we're heirs to that? Process that and believe that because that is what he's saying. Amazing. Yeah. I go back to the, to the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Right. Who was, you know, accused of adultery. And everybody else wanted to stone her. But Jesus in his calm manner said, okay, for those of you who have no sin, throw the first stone. Guess what happened? They all left. And he, his last parting was, is go and sin no more. He didn't need a, a litany of, of things she had to do. Or why did she do that? It's just like the prodigal son. The dad didn't ask for a, a reason. He accepted her. Go and sin no more. And that's, it, that's it, what he's saying to us. It, it proves what you just said is that what Jesus wants more than anything else, what the Father wants is us to just want to want. Yeah. Jesus didn't control and say, okay, you need, this is what you need to do. You need to stop this. You need to you go to you know, make, uh, make your treatise, make your argument of why you did this and stay away from your lover and, and don't, you know, no, go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. It's this, this tension of, of grace and authority of truth, grace and truth right there. Yeah. You, you, you cannot have grace you know, by, without the truth. You, you cannot, that cannot be there because all then we have is this muddy, miry clay of what my perception of truth is, is over, it overarches your perception. But the idea is, is that we live into God's view, what God sees of us. 
John, correct me now. In Romans 8 1, it's. Repeat that. Now, therefore, there is no no condemnation condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right. There you have it. What an amazing statement. Again, I come back to the whole premise of accept it. Put your arms around it and accept it. This is one in this chapter on page 173. And if you allow me, indulge me to. This is from this is from Carl Jung, right. the greatest great psychiatrist. Once reflected that we all are familiar with the words of Jesus, whatever you do to the least of my brethren, that you do unto me. Then Young asked a probing question: What if you discovered that the least of the brethren of Jesus, the one who needs your love the most? The one who can help the most for, by loving the one to whom you love will be most meaningful. What if you discovered that this least of your brethren of Jesus is you? So, love yourself and understand and accept the fact that you are heirs to the kingdom of God and God loves you. And, and we keep going back to this God loves us unconditionally. But I don't think we can mention that enough because there's your foundation to build this second call and to be who we truly are and to accept the, the mercy and grace that's awarded us every day. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. But if, if, if we would just sit for a moment and think about it, calm our minds and just think about it. And read the story of the prodigal son. Put yourself in the son position. I believe that this, when this chapter ends, it, that Manning rightfully so gives this challenge. He says, in the final analysis, the real challenge of Christian growth is the challenge of personal responsibility. Well, that personal responsibility might be to love yourself. To ask the question, do I really find myself living into the disciplines as of faith as routine? Faith cannot be routine. Faith cannot be something that is uh, ritualistic. Faith is new. Faith is alive. Faith is different. Faith is, is, is bubbling all around us. There's this challenge of personal responsibility. The spirit of Jesus calls out a second time to you, Tommy, to myself, to those who are listening. Are you going to take charge of your life today? Are you going to be responsible for what you do? Are you going to believe? And then at the end, he gives this prayer from this Greek uh, poet or playwright. And the prayer is this, and, and you see, as, as, as you read this prayer, I see, I see a, a real prayer. I don't see a prayer that is after a crisis, looking back through the rearview mirror. I see a prayer that is real and happening in the moment of life. I am a bow in your hands, Lord. Do not overdraw me, Lord. I shall break. Overdraw me, Lord, and who cares if I break? <laughs> the Christian walk, the faith journey is moment by moment. 
It's not a declaration that we make when we're 12 or 13 and it's finished, done, kaput, like we have graduated from high school or college. Now, we landed our first job, got married, or sent our kids off to be married and have children of their own. The walk of the Christian faith is growing moment by moment. We're not just husbands and wives and fathers and sisters and brothers and employers and employees and friends. We are Christian husbands, Christian wives, Christian brothers and sisters. Our Christian faith must permeate our walk of life. If you want to succeed in the marathon of faith, you must be willing to walk the daily walk with God. So true, John. May I take a moment to, at the end of this chapter as well, Manning points out a story about a man that was standing at the edge of an abyss, and he, to his amazement, he discovered a tightrope stretched across the abyss, and slowly, surely across the rope came an acrobat pushing before him a wheelbarrow with another performer in it. When they finally reached the safety of solid ground, the acrobat smiled at the man's amazement. Do you think I can do that again, he asked. And replied, and the man replied, Why, yes, I certainly believe you can. Then the acrobat put his question again, and when the answer was the same, he pointed to the wheelbarrow and said, Good, then get in, I will take you across. What did the traveler do? This is just the question we have to ask ourselves about Jesus Christ. I love that story. What we do about the Lordship of Jesus in our daily walk getting into the wheelbarrow, letting him take us across is a better indication of our faith than we think. Right. Our prayer is that for those of you who are listening, that this becomes uh, a reality for you. Tommy and I pray for you, even though we may not know you by name or face, we are certainly honored that you're joining us today. But know that your God, your creator loves you. And the good news is about this crazy, kooky love that God has for you. So may it be for you. God bless.